been enjoying that song. I find myself humming it throughout the week. I don't know if that's happening to you all as well, but uh, certainly have enjoyed it. Well, uh, as we get ready to uh, look in the Word, we are going to be back in Philippians this morning, Philippians. And so if you want to uh, turn there, uh, feel free to do that, Philippians chapter 3. But uh, as we get going, I did want to mention with the um, service project we did with New Hope, um, every uh, bag lunch that was given out, we had in there um, the gospel track or quiz track, which is the yellow one out in the lobby out there. If you haven't seen that, I encourage you to grab one. Um, and as well as uh, invitation for vacation Bible school. And so there are a number of cars out there with, with kids. So I encourage you to be in prayer um, for, for those uh, things that went out and just that uh, they'd be well received. And, uh, maybe we'd have some families come. All of these are opportunities to teach the Word of God. And uh, as we have folks come in, um, we, we have more and more opportunities to teach the Word of God, so that's a great thing. Um, we're going to be in Philippians 3 this morning, and uh, we, we started this chapter uh, together last week, uh, but we're going to start right back at the beginning again to grab that context from last week as we move into the, the message uh, today. But Philippians 3, beginning in verse 1. Um, and uh, the title is U-Turn, Philippians 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, it's not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, though I might also have confidence in the flesh if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof. He might trust in the flesh, I more, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. The Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage in scripture as we consider today we ask lord that you would prepare our hearts father that that we would consider the change that comes about as a result of the gospel of jesus christ and father where, where those areas are still there that we're hanging on to or father, just having a worldly view of life pray that you would use your word to to change our minds Father, we, we ask that today we would be more like Jesus as a result of your word, and we pray this in his name. Amen. All right, well, we've been going through this uh, passage together, and, and one of the, the hearts of Philippians has to do with that, that aspect of, of joy in Christ, right? Believers having joy in Christ. And, and part of what that expectation is, is as believers, that we would actually live a life where we're rejoicing in the Lord. And, and so... Uh, this first verse here in Philippians 3 1 right finally my brethren rejoice in the Lord that's how this chapter begins and that reminder that we ought to be rejoicing in the Lord and, and so last week we looked together at at this issue of of stolen joy what, what can take our joy away and um, we we looked at at this this warning here because Paul is offering up a, a warning at the very beginning, and he's saying, hey, I don't mind writing this because uh, it's for your good, and it's, it's okay to write this over, you know, once again. And, and so this warning is given in, in these first two, two verses, uh, or, or verses two and three here, 
about who can steal your joy, who can take it away from you. And that, that first uh, verse, verse 2 there, uh, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. And we went through that and described that together. Um, the, these were uh, the Judaizers, those who sought to take the law and impose it upon Christians. And in particular, the, the issue was that of circumcision. Now, verse 3 makes that abundantly clear because this is the contrast, right? They, they are the ones trying to impose this, but, but we are different. Verse 3, we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And so that's, that's the contrast of this warning, right? Those who, who want you to go back to being under the law, those who, who are suggesting, hey, you, you need to go back, you need to do these Jewish things, you need to be circumcised, you need to follow these different aspects, and, and if you want to be, be a true God-fearing believer, all these works have to be a part of it. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. This, that's not how it works. And he's taking the very language that they're using in terms of, of what must be done, saying that, that, um, that you need to go through this process and, and this ritual of circumcision. And, and he's saying, no, no, we're, we're the true circumcision. We are the, we are the ones who are following after God's word. And, and he kind of throws it right back at him. He, he directs it you know, right to him and says, hey, what you're saying, what you're saying needs to be done. Guess what? It's already been done in our hearts. This is truly what it's supposed to look like now. And so he brings that out and brings that right back to him. And so he puts before them an actual example. And think about it this way. You know, somebody who is saying, okay, here's what the standard is, right? If you want to look like a Christian should. Here's what the standard is. Here's what you have to do. Here's the list of rules that you need to follow. And, and, and it's listed out there, and, and Paul is, is basically saying, okay, let's go through the list. Compare me against your standard. And so he lifts himself up as an example. It says, okay, you, you want to look at, at, at someone who, who is going up against that standard. Who is it who is, has actually met those requirements? And, and so he, he starts describing uh, in verse 4 that, that note, right? Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, say, hey, if anybody has the right to say, hey, I, I'm, I'm meeting this standard, um, if, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. If anybody out there thinks that they, they can meet this standard that you're setting up there, none of them ha can do it better than I can. I mean, he's, he's just throwing himself right out there as, as an example of this. And so Paul himself is throwing himself up as the example for what they are requiring Christians to do in regard to that standard. And so what does he do? He lists out, uh, we might use the word fleshly attainments, right? Things that he has done and attained in his flesh. Uh, apart from God, things that he has accomplished in his own might in life, and, and, and he lists them out. And so we're going to look at these accomplishments together one by one this morning and, uh, and just work through each one and its meaning. And I, and I think you will see similarities between these various standards, right, that had been set out and, and actually things that really are, are we face today, things that we see today, things that, that people uphold today as, as saying, hey, I'm something, I'm special, 
look, I have this in my life. And, and, and Paul is saying, hey, you, you want to check out standards? Look, look at mine, right? Let's see where I'm at. And so the first one is, has to do with the covenant, right? Covenantal. This is a standard that, that is mentioned right here at the beginning of verse 5, and it, it starts out circumcised the eighth day. Now, we looked at this last time together, so we're not going to go into a great deal of detail today, but Genesis 17:10, this is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed and the, after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. Now, just to be clear, we're talking about the Abrahamic covenant here. This was at the beginning. God, this was not a conditional covenant, but God had an expectation that those who received the blessings of this covenant would respond and be circumcised as a sign that they were part of that family coming from Abraham. And so that, that continued and was part of the law and an expectation uh, so much so that, that later on we're, it's described here as those who fail to do this will be cut off. We know about what happened with Moses and his child uh, in the Exodus as he failed to do this and God was striking him down and Zipporah saved his life. But, but all of this is, is, is describing for us this aspect of the sign of the covenant. It's so much a sign of the Abrahamic covenant that God here in his word says, this is my covenant and refers to circumcision as though it, it is the covenant. That's how closely they're linked. Right? It, it, it's a sign of the covenant. It's not the covenant, but they're so closely united that God uses the language and describes it as, as the covenant itself. Now, what happened? You have the description here, right? Circumcision on the eighth day. This was something that would happen for all of the Jewish males. Um, and we, we went into more detail about this last time, but but... One of the things that was unique and interesting about this was that, yeah, it was a sign of Israel, and those who are part of Israel all, all had this sign, and were all expected to have this sign, but it actually wasn't limited to Israel. And um, all the way back, Genesis 17, 12, right after, the, after this is given, after this instruction is given, verse 12 says, And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man-child in your generations, he that is born of the house or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. What's that saying? Okay, other people, strangers who are coming to be a part of Israel, who are joining the house, need to have this sign of the covenant, even though they're technically not descendants of Abraham. In other words, some of these covenant blessings are available to those outside of Israel by, by way of them becoming, identifying as part of the nation. Uh, kind of interesting when you think about that, uh, because we're talking about uh, a group of, of people here who, who are saying, okay, those outside of Israel need to follow this covenant to be, where, where's it coming from? I mean, they didn't just pull this out of, uh, you know, out of the blue. I mean, here it is, right? Those who are outside of Israel, those who are in the surrounding nations, if they wanted to be part of Israel, then they need to go through this process. They need to be circumcised. And so Paul's saying, hey, you, you, you set this up as the standard? Guess what? Hey, I, I meet this. I, I, I truly am uh, circumcised the eighth day. I, I meet your requirement there. Well, let, let's go on. The next aspect that he describes is one of being uh, a national or not an Ishmaelite. And um, Philippians 3, verse 5, that, that second uh, part there, he goes on after, after describing the circumcision, 
It says, of the stock of Israel. Okay, those outside who came in who were circumcised the eighth day, you know, they, they get engrafted into the nation. That's not me. I really am from Israel. I, I truly am um, from the d- deserving of the privileges. Now, all right, this, this language here, this idea of, of being Israel's race, right, goes back to the distinction all the way back to Ishmael in the Bible and, and the distinction there. Remember, uh, Ishmael uh, was, was, was uh, Abraham's son from Hagar, right? As he was not waiting for God to fulfill his promise, he went out to accomplish the goal himself. And, and so as, as he did that, there's Ishmael. And, and so what, what Paul is saying here is, hey, no, no, I'm, I'm not from that side, right? I'm not from that side. I truly am part of the nation Israel. And... Uh, Paul addresses this concept, this, this idea later, Galatians 4.22, it's written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. Galatians verse 30 goes on, and it says, nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. He, he's saying there was a distinction that was made between the son of the bondwoman, the son of the free man, woman, Ishmaelites were cast out from the nation. They were not part of the nation. And he said, I'm part of that group. I wasn't one of the ones who was cast out. I, I am by blood a part of the nation of Israel. And, and so he, he's making that distinction. And, and so what, now let's, let's pause here. Is Paul saying somehow that, okay, that means that the gospel is for this group and not the other? no. <laughs> It's the exact opposite of that, right? He, he is saying, you want to throw these standards up. Look at how I meet your standards, okay? So he is setting himself up. And so he's an example of saying, okay, I'm meeting all of your standards, and you're still wrong, right? That, that's the idea here, okay? So as we, we work through that, keep that in mind behind this. And so the, 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 the fact is that those who are, those who are trusting the law, right, those who are trusting the law instead of putting their faith in God's promises do not inherit the kingdom of God. That's, that is what is being described here, right? The, the Galatians in this chapter, Paul is saying, okay, the Ishmaelites, Ishmael did not inherit the promises of God. Did not, he did not receive the inheritance, only the son of the free woman does. And, and what was the basis on that? The, the difference was putting faith in God's promises, right? And so when, when that took place, it's accounted by God as righteousness. Okay, third, third area where Paul is describing how he is exceeding here, right? How he is in his flesh accomplishing so-called great things. And, and, and that is one of a tribal nature. Um, back in Philippians 3, verse 5, he says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, now that's, that's a big deal. Remember, uh, Benjamin is the only son who's, who's uh, born in the land. He's a favored son. Uh, he is, uh, it's from this tribe that Israel's first king would come. And um, Mordecai, book of Esther, was a Benjamite. So, so this is a tribe that, that has some clout and standing um, where, where it is 
and, and we certainly think of Benjamin was very much favored, right? Very much favored. And, and so as, as we, we think of that, uh, where, let's put it, what, what's Paul's name before he turned into Paul? Saul, first king of the Benja, first king of Israel was Saul. Saul was a Benjamite. It, it, I mean, it, you know, it, it all ties in. I mean, his name itself wore the the banner of his tribe, right on the name. You know, he he is a Benjaminite. He he is from the tribe of Benjamin. And, and um, if we look back, Deuteronomy thirty three twelve says. And of Benjamin, he said, the beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him, and the Lord shall cover him all the day long, and he shall dwell between his shoulders. Uh, who, who joined with Judah in the Davidic covenant? Benjamin, only other tribe, right, that, that joined with Judah in the Davidic covenant. And um, where's Jerusalem located? The land area of Benjamin. Uh, so all of this is going on. If you're part of the tribe of Benjamin, that is some clout, right? That is some status. That is a fleshly accomplishment. And Paul's saying, hey, I got it. I got it. I've got this one. You, you, want, you want somebody who is demonstrating all of these things. You want someone who is truly a cultural Jew and not Hellenized. And that's the next one. You want someone who, as verse 5 puts it, is a Hebrew of the Hebrews. That's me. That's me. And so this, this language here, as he says he's a Hebrew of the Hebrews, it's just taking everything before and said, you, you, you want someone who really fulfills that requirement of what being a Hebrew is all about. Right? I'm a Hebrew born of pure Hebrew stock. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. I've fulfilled the law. I, I'm doing all of these things. And he even uses the term in 2 Corinthians 11.35. Are they Hebrews? Speaking of the Judaizers, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. And he's, he's pointing out, if you think you have a higher standing or, or position in which to make these arguments against these, these Gentile believers, hey, your standing's no better than mine. And uh, as you think about the providence of, of God in the early church, when doctrine was being set forth and laid down, how incredible is it to have someone like Paul, who not only is speaking authoritatively based on the power of God, but can say, hey, you know my life. You know how I lived it, and look how it's changed. What, what an incredible example and testimony. And God in his providence chose to use that in this situation, in the early church, to express the importance that justification is by faith alone. He, he, he laid it out and used, used Paul for that, for that example. So, Cultural, not Hellenized. It, he, he truly is a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He has not taken on the Greek customs and practices. He has not started following after Rome. He, he truly has lived his life following after the practices of Judaism. Next thing, legal aspect. Right? The legal aspect. 
verse 5, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Now we we uh, know a lot about these Pharisees, but how are they actually described in, in Scripture? Acts 26, verse 5 says, uh, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify, that after the most strictest sect of our religion, I've lived a Pharisee. It's the strictest group. You, you, you can't find a more strict Hebrew group out there. I, I'm a, a Pharisee, is what Paul's saying. goes on. Acts 23, verse 6. When Paul per- perceived that the one part were Sadducees, the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. The hope and resurrection of the dead I am called in question. Regard to the law, you want to know how I keep the law? I keep it like a Pharisee. Not only am I a Pharisee, my dad was a Pharisee. I grew up in a Pharisee family. I mean, that's what he is laying out here. You you don't get any more strict than what I've grown up doing. You, You want to talk about fleshly attainment, fleshly standards, you need to look no farther than me. You don't have to look anywhere else. And so he gives this description here. What did Jesus say about the Pharisees? Remember this, Matthew 23, 15. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, you make him twofold more, the child of hell than yourselves. That's the description. Not a very high view of Pharisees. And yet, for these Judaizers, they still held keeping the law in very, very high regard. Acts 15.5 puts it this way, But there rose up certain of the sect of Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them, to command them to keep the law of Moses. That's who we're talking about here, right? That's these Judaizers. They're coming out of the sect of Pharisees. So what is Paul doing? He's saying, hey, I'm one of you. That's my background. That's my history. And so when I speak to you, I speak to you with standing. Right? That, that is the background. But you know, that's not all. Paul goes on and says, but I wasn't just a normal Pharisee. I, I had personal zeal. I was a zealous Pharisee. I, I didn't stay in my house and close the door. I, I didn't just practice somewhere on my own. I was zealous in going about it. Look ahead to verse 6, and it begins there in Philippians 3, concerning zeal persecuting the church. You know, I was so zealous as a a Pharisee that I persecuted this early church. That's how much I believed in keeping the law, and and that these these new Christian, this way, this new Christian sect, was disobeying what God had said. Remember, Paul was holding the, the cloak there as they stood there stoning Stephen in the book of Acts. Many recognized that role as the cloak bearer was in essence kind of the one who says, keep going until I tell you to stop. That, that's what Paul's background was. Galatians 1.14, and prophet in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my father's. I rose up above a lot of the other Jews. Why? Because I was more zealous in carrying out our religion and religious practices. I was all about it. It's what consumed my life. And so he said to these Judaizers, hey, I was such a good Jew that I persecuted Christians. 
I chased after these Christians. I killed these Christians. That, that's the level of, of uh, my personal fleshly attainment. Seven, then personal righteousness. You're concerned about whether or not they're following the law and somehow achieving this, this righteousness. Verse 6, right? Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. And Paul gives that instruction there. Now, this doesn't mean Paul was perfect, right? He, he still sinned, and even Pharisees knew that they still sinned. But Paul said, no, no one could hold anything against me, right? In regard to what the law said, in regard to following the practices of the Pharisees, I, I was righteous in the law. I followed the practices that were laid out. I was faultless in that regard. And no one could say anything about it. See, this, this was a righteousness that was based on the law. And many, the Pharisees held to this, right? That, the Pharisees were looking at a works-based religion where, hey, you've got to achieve our Pharisaical righteousness, and if you do this, then you're okay with God. I mean, remember, these are the ones who are calling for the crucifixion of Jesus. Just to, to put into context how deluded they were in Jesus' day. They thought that they, were, that they were righteous before God as they're calling for the crucifixion of God. Pretty, pretty incredible how deluded that is. And, and yet, Paul is in essence saying, hey... If you want somebody from that group, I'm the one. If you want somebody from that background, I'm the one. And, and, and there is no one who has accomplished more fleshly attainment than I have. I, I'm the one who's done it. And so all of those things in the life of a young Jewish man in Israel that day would have been praised and lifted up. They would have caused great gain. They would have brought about much respect. It would have been profitable. It would have been lucrative. And all of those things, by, by the, the standards in Israel in that day, would have led to Paul being lifted up above so many others. And yet, he describes a change in verse 7. Philippians 3, verse 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Here's the U-turn. Here's the change that takes place. And, and this is... Perhaps we could say that the single most critical change, when we're talking about believers and the, the expectation for having joy in a believer's life, right? this is absolutely critical because all of the things that Paul was lifting up before as his attainments and what he needed in life, those things that were gained, count them as loss. Christ. All that stuff that he just bragged about, 
All the stuff where, where he just sounds better than everybody else. It's what a waste. What a waste. It, it, it's, it's loss. I count, those I counted lost for Christ. What, what is it? This is a complete U-turn, right? This is a total turnaround. The, he is declaring to, to the, the Judaizers and saying, you are clinging to something that should be nothing but a loss in light of who Jesus is. Those things that you are, are, are claiming would be a gain for these young believers, these Gentile believers, you're wrong. You're trying to put them under the shackles of the law again. And, and he, is, he is declaring to them, that's not how this works. You see, if, if you're going to rejoice in Christ, the, the fact is that, that you have to have a U-turn from what was going on before, what you valued before, what you held up before. Now, now look, if, if we were going to look down Paul's list of accomplishments and the seven things that we listed together, per, perhaps there were some that we would be tempted to say, okay, maybe that's not so bad, right? Yeah, he, he, was, he was circumcised. What, that, that's not, not so bad. I mean, you know, he was part of the, the covenant people. You know, that kind of makes sense. Maybe that wasn't so bad. He's proud to be part of Israel. God's chosen people. Maybe that's not so bad, right? Maybe that's not so part of part of Benjamin. I mean, he was born there. How can you blame him for that one? He acts like a Hebrew. He didn't give in to those coming in from outside. Some of whom are are teaching the nation things that are terrible that are against God's law and against God's word. He, he followed the legal practices. He, he, he sought to, to follow exactly what the law says, and not just what it says, but go beyond it and go beyond it and go beyond it, to, to protect himself from possibly breaking the law. And he, he was zealous for God. What a great attribute. I persecuted the church while he was doing it, but he was zealous for God in his mind. I mean, isn't, isn't that a great thing? And, and, he, and he sought after the law. He sought to do what, what the law said. He, he would be declared righteous in, in the eyes of the law in front of everybody. No one could cast anything against him because he, he held up the law so well. Sh shouldn't we honor that? Shouldn't we say that's a great thing? Paul says the things that were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. That's a twist. <laughs> That's a different way of coming about it. And, and, and the, reason, the reason for this is simple. The, the attainments that Paul accomplished were all done in his flesh. They were fleshly attainments. They were not reliant upon a God who, who he knew, because he didn't know God. In fact, he was a, a part of the group who were seeking to persecute God himself. And, and so as he's crying out and, and saying, and say, boy, aren't these great in your eyes? Said, no, they're not great. They're not great at all. They're worthless. 
because it, it wasn't based upon faith in Jesus Christ. It wasn't based upon the working and the power of God through me. It was based on my own desire, my own will, and my own fleshly attainment. And if you're wondering how good it is, it's worth nothing. See, I think we're in a society today where we, we kind of look at things and start thinking, wow, that's good. <laughs> you know, oh, that's kind of nice. So, hey, you've you got to change your thoughts. You've got to change your thinking. Is it done, empowered by, is it spirit-empowered? Is it powered, empowered by God? Is it truly the things that please him? Or, or is it some kind of just, you know, hey, that looks nice. <laughs> I mean, we, we treat a lot of things as good in this world that aren't really good. Right? We, we treat a lot of things that are used for evil in this world that, that aren't really good. You, know, you, you, you give money to the charity, you think helping people. It turns out the only people that's helping is the board of directors, right, who are pocketing all the funds. Is that good? Well, not really. My heart was in the right. Was it good? I mean, we, we like to salve our conscience with all, all of these various things, right, that, okay, well, at least, yeah, that was bad in my life, but at least I did this good thing. Over, we... What's going on? What's the, the scripture saying? Paul is saying, hey, all this halfway stuff that we, we act and think is good, it's either, under, it's either according to the will of God or it's not. And if it's according to the will of God, if we are following God's desire for us, then hey, yeah, it, it is good. But when it's not, it, it, it's just loss. It's loss. Why? Because it's not pleasing Christ. You see, it's, it's loss for Christ. And that's the, the key there. Are the things going on in our life the things that are actually pleasing to Christ? I want to be clear here. This does not mean that we're not allowed to have fun. <laughs> this does not mean that there's no room for entertainment. This does not mean that you can't go out and enjoy the play or the concert or whatever. That's not what this is saying. Doesn't mean that you can't play games with your kids. Right? That's not what this is saying. But are the things that we're doing with a pur- occurring with a purpose of bringing glory to God and pleasing Jesus Christ, or are they not? I mean, that, that is ultimately the dividing line here. And one of the things that I think that happens in Christian life today is that God was Sunday and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday is what we want to do. I, I, I think that that is a common practice. You say, well, no, it's, it's not. I, I posted that Bible verse on Facebook. <laughs> that doesn't make it the Lord's day, right? I, I understand, you know. We, we, we act like we do one thing and then so, okay, so then the day belongs. Here, here's the question. Are you using the day the way that God would have you to use it? Are, are you using the day? Are you using the hour? Are you using the minute? And within that time, that may mean that within that moment, it, you might be enjoying a play or you might be enjoying a concert. 
Because God gives us good things to enjoy, but are you doing it to his glory? Because you can't have Christian joy if you're doing these things out of your own selfish ambition. You can't have Christian joy as you're going through these various decisions and aspects of life as you, as you take them on, why? For your own personal gain. You want to kill joy? Fill your life with loss. You want to kill joy in your life? Fill your life with things that are about loss, that are worth nothing. You want true gain? Fill your life with things that are about pleasing Jesus Christ. And not just Sunday. Don't compartmentalize it. God gets this time, I take that time, he gets this time, I'm okay. Give it all to him. Right? The, the U-turn here for Paul was you get 100%. You, you get all of it. And, and, and within that, uh, following God's will, we will make decisions and choices that honor him. And some of those may be doing fun stuff. And that's okay. But we exercise wisdom in these areas as we, as we bring it about. You see, this, this is a total reversal of values. 